Well, it's podcast time again <laughs> at the Science of Compassion class. Um, uh, my name's Stan Steindl and, and with me is James Kirby. Hi, g'day, Stan. G'day, James. And the class of Science of Compassion. Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. Oh. Um, <laughs> and we had some um, wonderful presentations again today. Renee presented on Can Somebody Be Fearful of Compassion? Uh, and so that generated a lot of interesting discussion. And Sarah uh, wondered, is it possible to be compassionate without uh, mindfulness? And I had a funny experience on the way here, James. Do you mind if I yeah, yeah, tell yeah. you what happened? Please. It was upsetting, um, but I um, stepped in chewing gum. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, um, and it was interesting because I think I stepped in the chewing gum because I was busy tweeting and not being very mindful <laughs> as, I, as I was walking along. Uh, and then I arrived and I was talking to Renee. I don't know if you noticed this, Renee, but um, I, I suddenly saw on the carpet there that the, the chewing gum was um, going on the carpet. And I, got very, I felt suddenly a flush of self-consciousness and nervousness and, <laughs> and quite fearful of um, you know receiving any compassion from you at that moment, um, and so I, I sort of quickly ended that conversation and, and left the room. Uh, but then, uh, and I had to do that thing where you're sort of walking, but on, on your tippy toes. But eventually, I got outside and was trying to fix myself up, and um, Mitch came along and said he said how are you today and then i i thought no i have to set my fear of receiving compassion from others aside and i told him the story and quite courageously i thought and then he <laughs> he showed me a lot of care and compassion so um it's funny how just any old moment uh you know can really sort of demonstrate the importance of all of these things did you quickly mention it's not my gum? It was someone else's gum I stood on. It certainly yeah, wasn't my gum, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And also it was not my fault. Or my gum. Yeah, that's right. Um, Distance yourself. So we had that great talk, first of all, about can somebody be fearful of compassion? And actually you did mention the meta-analysis that you've oh, yeah. kind of uh, pulled together with an enormous amount of, of effort and work, and it's currently, I think, being reviewed. But I wondered whether you would mind telling us a little bit about some of the some of the highlights or talking points that you've discovered from that okay. piece of work. I'll, yeah, I'll try to remember a lot of it. This is under review at the moment, so um, you know uh, uh, this is information that's subject to change, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we did a piece of uh, compassion scales meta analysis. So this is a developed scale by Gilbert and colleagues that looks at compassion through the three flows: self to others and from others, and the people's fears or worries about that. And uh, we had data from over 10 countries and uh, four, four, close to 4,500 participants. And we were looking at the constructs uh, in relation to the outcomes of uh, depression, anxiety, distress, self-criticism, shame, and well-being. And we found the, the, the strongest connections in terms of effect sizes were for fear of receiving and self, strong moderate effects of 0.5 to 0.6 with shame, uh, self-criticism and depression. That were the big ones, which is quite interesting because I thought all the strongest associations would be with anxiety because it was like fears of compassion. So I thought it would go hand in hand with anxiety. Uh, but the strongest ones were with uh, depression, self-criticism and shame. 
for fears of self and fears of receiving. But then when we looked at the, uh, the associations between fears um, of expressing compassion to others and those constructs, they were still significant, but dropped to small effect sizes, so around 0.2. Um, so it still has an impact, but just a smaller impact. You know, there's a body of literature showing, you know, that volunteering and these kinds of pro-social behaviours do lead to benefits. So it's not surprising that there were associations there. Um, and we did notice some clinical differences as well. So we were able to look at uh, clinical samples versus non-clinical samples, and certainly on fears of receiving and self much higher, significantly higher scores compared to uh, the non-clinical samples, whereas there was no significant difference between expressing it to others, in a nutshell. Does anyone have any kind of thoughts pop to mind as you hear those, those results about fears of receiving compassion and self-compassion being related to depression, self-criticism, shame? Yep, they're the big ones. Any thoughts? So those, those sort of results in the meta-analysis were, were kind of compatible with what you found. Yeah. I, I think it is really interesting because one of the points you raised in your talk was that, um, you know, kind of where people become a source of sort of threat rather than a source of, of warmth and safeness and that that's a big part of what might then drive those fears of compassion, receiving compassion from others, but perhaps also self-compassion. And so we also know that that those kind of early life experiences are very strongly related to self-criticism and shame as, as well. Uh, and then we, we had the second talk from Sarah, is it possible to be compassionate without mindfulness? And this raised a lot of debate. James, what did you think of the, the robust debate that was going on? It was on good, about it was good. Yeah. You know, the students are, are, are bright and enthusiastic and uh, lots of good discussions. I mean. Uh, admittedly, you were making some pretty poor points, Stan, during the <laughs> <laughs> discussion. No. Are you being mindful right now? Because it wasn't compassion. Um. <laughs> no, I was deliberately trying to cause harm. Um, my, 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 minor harm, mind you. <laughs> what I loved the most was... Sorry, what's your name? Nia. Nia. I loved how um, Nia, who was being the timekeeper for the day, oh, yes, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the alarm yeah. went off and she just yeah. abruptly stopped you <laughs> yeah, and said, yeah. James, sorry, but you have to stop right there. <laughs> The, it was um, good boundaries. It was good. Very uh, good. He then did continue. Yeah. Yes, but um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting to think about you know mindfulness without compassion, compassion without mindfulness. Can these things operate you know distinctly or, or separately, or are they one and the same? One of your points was that perhaps they there can be ways for them to be, especially in clinical work, approached separately or distinctly depending on the responses of. The client. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, there's raging debates in the literature around uh, the fact that, you know, can they be so clearly separated? Um, is it worthwhile? Is it purposeful? You know, there's been a lot of work now sort of starting to address that some of the negative uh, effects that mindfulness can bring for people. So there's a great book written, The Buddha Pill, uh, by Miguel Ferraris and Catherine Wickham that kind of looks at some of this stuff, which is really quite fascinating. 
Um, but then many compassion-based interventions obviously include some form of mindfulness, um, whether it just be some kind of more attentional-based processing. But I mean, one easy example is to see how you can help facilitate compassion without mindfulness is just through context. So if you're in a highly competitive context, that's going to uh, diminish the chances of compassion without actually trying to improve mindfulness. Whereas if you can create a more socially safe environment, it's going to lead to more emergence of compassion. So there's been some really good studies done on this. As soon as you turn it into, okay, you know, you're all getting graded against each other and you can only get a certain amount of sevens and you're all up against each other, you're not going to share your resources nearly as much because, you know, it's a competition. You've got you to win. And as a result, there's going to be a loser. So it sort of turns off that mechanism. Whereas even to notice it, or become aware of it <clears throat> and that's just changing changing the context mm. whereas if we can say you know create a more socially um, safe environment where it's like you know um you can all get sevens there's no we, we don't we're not interested in the grades per se we're just interested in views and so on and so forth um and this takes a while you see this when students leave honors entering into the master's program because you know getting to it's a, get, you know everyone's obsessed with getting a first class honors it's a it's a major focus and I remember being in that system too. And you do become a little bit wary of, on sharing and being cooperative, um, as it were. But then when you get into masters and it's kind of like, no, you have to rely on each other and support each other on some of these skills because you have to do competency demonstrations of specific skills. It takes a long time for that kind of sense of we're all against each other to get a certain grade to more uh, this sense of social safeness to emerge. It takes time for that to kind of come out. But if we can, we're more likely to see uh, compassionate responding or even just less self-criticism to self if a mistake is made just through the safeness component i actually think that that's a wonderful couple of points i mean firstly which is rare from me no no yeah. I, I i i hear them from you a lot but um <laughs> i can't remember the last one but i, I think this, <laughs> is, this is a good one because uh, well two points one is that you know it's definitely not one size fits all no and so right. sometimes you know mindfulness can people can have fears of mindfulness or resistance to that or they can have negative experiences because mindfulness is about noticing emotion and that can sometimes be difficult ones as well as as the undifficult ones um but this other point is fascinating mm. that, that context can actually influence compassionate or pro-social responding and mm. that if if we are able to change the um context and make it more a context where people feel safe and mm. and um, a f there's affiliation amongst the group, mm. then rather than competition, yeah, 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 and that can just lead to compassion, sort of emanating from everybody, and it sounds very very lovely. I um, I also thought too that compassion, you know, is a is a kind of a motivation, but fear is also something a motivation. But yes, they, yeah, that's they, a fabulous. Point. They tend to. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. They they tend to um, <laughs> just want to reciprocate. Uh, have, have different sort of behavioural effects. So compassion might lead to bless you. Uh, bless you. Uh, compassion might lead to Beat you to um, to approach, uh, whereas fear might lead you to avoid. And maybe mindfulness can come into that in terms of um, just bringing uh, intention, mm. so that rather than it being more spontaneous or instinctual. Mindfulness allows us to stop and notice and, and create an in, intention and create a commitment to act in, in more compassionate ways, even if there is fear or, or other sort of more difficult emotions. Oh, was, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Richard Davidson just did a huge study recently looking at doing a compassion meditation. Uh, this was done in a, a randomised control trial setting. 
And uh, looking at those two different constructs of fear, uh, which uh, evokes a motivation of avoidance typically, whereas compassion motivating uh, an approach, and they found through activating uh, uh, compassion through the compassion meditation, they reduced the amygdala response of fear, which is the um, you know move away, avoid, um, and the insula became larger as a result as well through the compassion uh, meditation training. So it's exactly right. Those are two that you know the approach avoidance hypothesis is a big one, and there's empirical evidence supporting these processes uh, through the neuroscience coming out as well. Let alone just with mental health and well-being. So yeah. All right. Well, thanks, James. And thanks, everyone. Next week, we're going to be talking about gender and culture differences. Is that yep, correct? And, oh, and, and the collapse of compassion. And the collapse of compassion. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Good. Thanks, yeah, mate. Thank See you, you then, thanks, everyone. everyone. Bye. Bye.